I'm Lucinda Kay, and this is Speaking Freely. Today we're talking about ethics in the workplace. We hear about big ethics situations in the news every day. But what about in your daily life, at your company? Maybe a boss demands you cut corners with a faulty product that cheats or even endangers consumers. Or maybe coworkers pad their expense accounts and ask you to cover for them. Maybe a team member says one too many times, don't worry about it, no one else will know. Today we listen in as reporter Jacob Dean talks with Dr. Stephen Mintz. He's the author of Beyond Happiness and Meaning, Transforming Your Life Through Ethical Behavior. What brings about this conversation this, this morning, Professor Mintz? Well, I think we've uh, experienced uh, a lot of situations where uh, ethics in the workplace have broken down and people have gotten into a great deal of trouble. Um, one in particular that strikes me is Wells Fargo as a bank has gotten into quite a bit of trouble in the last few years because they set up unauthorized accounts for those who bank with them. Uh, They've put charges through accounts that nobody ever asked for services, uh, and they were investigated by the government and fined. Another pretty famous one is Volkswagen, where they created some software to make it seem as though the cars were not putting out as much carbon emissions as they really were in order to cheat the system, so to speak. And there are any number of instances we can look, for example, just recently, the uh, OxyContin situation with companies like Johnson & Johnson and Purdue where they pushed these pain medications on the general public, making it seem as though they were not as harmful as they potentially were. And obviously, they've been fined a great deal of information, a great deal of money because of this. Thousands and thousands of young people and others have been addicted. um, Deaths have occurred. Um, One company, Purdue, went bankrupt just recently as a result of a court settlement. And then you have uh, unethical situations by individuals. Uh, Most recently, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who... Uh, of course, passed away, was involved in improper sexual activities. Harvey Weinstein, uh, the the whole Hollywood Me Too movement, um, basically came into the public view as a result of sexual harassment over many, many years. So I think ethics in the workplace is a problem because people expect to be treated a certain way, which is what ethics is all about, kind of going back to the golden rule, treat others the way you wish they would treat you. And, you know, nobody would want to be sexually harassed in the workplace or be given medication that wasn't safe. So companies and individuals shouldn't do that either. So that's kind of, in a broad sense, the ethical message. Oh, that's perfect, Professor. Yeah, and you you hit me there with the golden rule, you know, that that mom and dad, and I can remember grandma and grandpa teaching me, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. You're listening to Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay, and today we're listening in as reporter Jacob Dean talks to the so-called ethics sage about ethics in the workplace. Have have we lost that, Professor? Have we lost our way? I think that's a very good question, very appropriate Um, And before I answer it, we need to be 
real about these things. And what I mean is, I don't know anybody who doesn't think there's a problem with civility in society. We turn on the news, cable news every night, and we hear things that one group is saying about the other or one individual about another. And it's it's really, it's offensive comments. It's the comments designed to make the other person look bad. Um, even in the recent uh, political debates, the democratic debates, we saw some of that. So yes, I think we've lost our way. I think uh, civility is a lost art. We've, we no longer know how to speak to each other, how to disagree with each other without being disagreeable. And it's, it's, it's infecting society. Uh, I don't know uh, whether I'm going too far in this statement, but it needs to be made. What about all the violence in the street? I mean, where is this coming from? To some extent, I think we have to recognize its incivility and people saying very nasty things about others and almost making it seem that these kinds of behaviors lashing out at others who we don't agree with is acceptable. We've sort of normalized, I think, unethical behavior. And uh, it's a problem because we don't seem to recognize it as a society. And, and you hit the nail on the head, mom and dad. If mom and dad's still teaching this, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm pretty certain the schools don't teach it, and kids don't really get these ethical messages at home. Uh, practicing religion is certainly down. And uh, schools no longer cover ethics because, or they don't to any great degree, they're afraid that it's too much preaching to kids, and, and we stay away from those sort of things in society. So it's a societal problem, but like any other problem, such as gun violence, we have to first admit that it is a problem before we can solve it, and unfortunately, I don't think we're at that point yet with respect to ethics and society. So that leads me to the next logical question. How do we reverse this trend? Is, is there, uh, Professor, in your opinion, what would be uh, the solution here? How do, we, how do we make this better? We need leaders to step up and talk about these things. And I mentioned the debates a moment ago. There have been several debates by now, and I don't think in any of these debates the reporters asked about basic civility in society, which all surveys show. I saw one recently that said 93% of Americans believe incivility is a problem in society. We have to have leaders to step up to talk about it. And I don't see that happening. I don't know why that is. I don't know why reporters can't find five minutes to question candidates about it when it's it's so important to our society in general and in so many areas like I've been talking about. So in, unless and until these types of things are brought out in the open... You're listening to Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay, and today we're listening in as reporter Jacob Dean talks to the so-called ethics sage about ethics in the workplace. These situations at the workplace... Um, yeah, you know, with ethics, it's it's really mirroring what's going on in the world around us, I think. And, um, you know, kind of bringing it home to the average Joe. I mean, everybody goes to work. I, I work, you're working, we all work. And 
Um, and we can kind of face uh, situations like this uh, in our own lives, in a day-to-day world. Um, what what would be uh, um, advice or, or, or thoughts or comments on um, maybe maybe more of a, I don't know, an average Joe ethics uh, situation at work or something that, that the, the average worker might see uh, 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 day-to-day at, at work? Well, I think one thing that is a contributing factor to these issues that I've been discussing is social media. And that, of course, affects our personal life as well as our workplace interactions. And people tend to say things on social media that they probably wouldn't say in person to the face of a person because of the anonymous nature of social media. There's less accountability than if you're looking somebody in the eyes and trying to say something to them that might be offensive. And that's that's a problem. It's a problem in our personal relationships uh, where we, we see things like uh, ghosting. And that's where a person does not respond to things like uh, a job offer. I had some students who told me that they got job offers from um, companies and they had already accepted a position with a different company so they didn't answer the offer that came via email. They just ignored it. And some of them have told me that employers even do that. They don't respond to interviews that our students have. So ghosting is a big problem. It also occurs in dating when somebody you date wants to follow up. You didn't like that person, so you don't bother to say, I'm sorry, I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, how hard is it to say that, yet people don't do it, whereas if it was an impersonal conversation, obviously something would be said one way or the other. In the workplace, employees sometimes make the mistake of criticizing their employers, and, you know, that can get you into trouble. Many employers now monitor the social media posts of their employees and they might even have policies about that. Now, let me explain that we have free speech. So if you want to criticize your employer for doing something or saying something, you have the right to do that. But the employer also has the right to fire you for doing that. Now, there are a lot of laws that cover that when the employee can cannot be fired legally But the point is social media has infected our society and the impersonal, anonymous nature of communications is really, I think, a big deal. And we every night you watch the news and there's Twitter posts by one politician or another, and uh, some of the things said are really uh, off-colored. And people see it as, again, we're, we're normalizing improper behavior using social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or, or anything like that. So that that's a big problem in our lives today. And uh, again, it's something that I don't see any solution to, uh, at least in the short run, because uh, we're not really talking about it. I, I'd say in a, in a broad sense, we need some sort of discussion about what is ethics in social media. Just like a company might say, what is ethics for their organization? Uh, 
But again, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Just a few of the common workplace ethical issues that can arise include lying on a resume, taking credit for someone else's work, airing work grievances on social media. You're listening to Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay, and today we're listening in as reporter Jacob Dean talks to the so-called ethics sage about ethics in the workplace. Uh, you know, listeners lo- love to know a little bit more about who we're talking with on the radio, uh, Professor Mintz. Tell us a little bit about um, how you kind of came into uh, this uh, this world and, 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 and uh, maybe a little bit about why you're so passionate about uh, ethics in the workplace. Oh, well, those are obviously good questions, and I appreciate being asked it. Well, I've been dealing with um, ethics in university teaching for about 30 years now, and I first got interested in it when I was working in the public accounting profession, and uh, I saw that this was a profession with a relatively high standard of ethics, and and it, it sort of gave me that initial background and knowledge about what is and isn't ethical, at least on a professional point of view. And in one of my early teaching gigs, so to speak, I was approached by a professional CPA society out here in California to uh, develop some case studies in ethics for university teaching. And um, I took a sabbatical leave. I did it. Uh, I produced some cases. It ultimately became a textbook that's used in college courses to teach accounting students ethics. And then one thing led to the other. I started to write research papers. They got published. Uh, 10, 12 years ago, I started the blog on ethics issues and seemed to have a pretty strong base in that. Um, I blog under the name Ethics Sage, sort of imparting my wisdom from 30 years of researching, writing, and teaching about ethics. So I became very passionate about it through all my work and just being an observer of what was happening in society and business as we have been talking about. So um, I've I've gotten a pretty big reputation for it in the educational field, and I've worked hard to be a role model to my students as I teach. I think that's very important. And I continue to do what I can on a personal level to spread the message, so to speak. I find this fascinating. Um, you know, I, th- I think we've all dealt with, uh, or maybe we haven't all dealt. I'll speak for myself. We have. I've witnessed uh, some uh, scenarios where, um, you know, th- there may have been uh, ethics issues or, or that kind of thing going on, and it's um, it can be tough to to uh, to get over if if uh, if if you know if nothing's said, if it's never brought up, and you know, you, you kind of, uh, I, I guess maybe I'm speaking for myself in, in personal times when, you know, not speaking up, uh, maybe not doing the right thing at the time, and then trying to, uh, you know, swallow it and, and hide it and try to get over it without addressing it. Um, probably not the right thing to do, right, Professor? Can, you, can we talk a little bit about um, maybe what can happen in these situations if, if nothing is done or nothing is said? Uh, can that kind of snowball into uh, something bigger or worse? Right, and I think uh, that's a very important question that a lot of people are afraid to speak up when they see wrongdoing because they're 
understandably so, concerned that it may come back on them. They may suffer the consequences of bringing out in the open improper behavior because others don't want to hear about it. Or the person that is being alleged to have done something wrong is very powerful. Again, I would point to the Harvey Weinstein issue and the Me Too movement and the initial actresses, the ones that were harassed way back, in interviews, they pretty much indicated they were afraid that their careers would be ruined if they spoke out about what he was doing. We kind of have an ethic, something called the bystander effect, where people who see wrongdoing are silent, and they kind of hope that somebody else will speak up so they don't have to. Well, if we all said that, nobody would speak up. But it's a real fear, retaliation against the person who brings bad news out into the open is a real problem. So organizations have to support, let's call them whistleblowers, because it's not in their best interest to let these things fester. Sooner or later, these things tend to come out because of social media, because of investigative reporting, perhaps because somebody... Their conscience won't let them stay silent anymore. So there needs to be more attention paid to this by everybody so that it becomes more of an accepted practice rather than being looked at, you know, as a tattletale. Uh, when we grew up, nobody wanted to be a tattletale. You're listening to Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay, and today we're listening in as reporter Jacob Dean talks to the so-called ethics sage about ethics in the workplace. Real harm can be done if actions are not taken against those who do wrongdoing. In my field, uh, which initially was accounting, there were all these financial frauds. Companies like Enron, which almost everybody has heard of by now, committed financial fraud, manipulated their financial statements. People's law, people lost millions of dollars. Uh, Bernie Madoff, another household name, more or less, cheated investors out of money. I mean, real harm can occur in these instances. So to, to have more people speak up reporting improper instances to those in the company who should be hearing about them needs to be normalized. Now, I, I think it is get, we're getting there. I think we are getting there in the workplace. Uh, workplace reporting of unethical behavior is up. It's increased, and more and more companies are saying they want employees to report these things because sometimes top management doesn't know about it. It's some employee, perhaps in mid-management, who's decided to do something wrong or uh, condone an improper behavior so uh, that's probably the one area about ethics that I have more hope for, that it will uh, change and it will become something that is acceptable in society, reporting wrongdoing. Yeah, amen. Of course, we know uh, uh, ignoring the problem never solves it. It never goes right. away when you ignore it. And uh, I know, you know, in the news in the last five, ten years, there have been uh, a few cases of... Um, you know, maybe uh, retaliation against some of those whistleblowers, um, and that can maybe, you know, contribute back to the fact that, you know, people can initially be scared to, to speak up about something. Um, I remember speaking with um, 
one uh, engineer uh, who worked at the Hanford nuclear site up in Washington State and was trying to raise awareness about some issues up there and, and uh, was let go and and uh, he felt that that was a retaliation against him trying to blow the whistle on some safety things and and so um, you know we, we see that uh, obviously from from time to time and professor Mensa really appreciate your, your time this morning I know uh, our listeners do too but I, I wanted to make sure that we we nail everything and hit everything is there is there anything else that we need to tell listeners or let folks know or forgetting to ask that should be included in this uh, conversation, Professor? Well, I think, I think the main thing is people have to understand if we all do things wrong, and I'm not saying we do, but if everybody did unethical actions, society could not function. We have a society in the United States where it's dependent on each person doing the right thing, because otherwise we're at each other's throats and we see the sorts of unethical behavior that we've been discussing. You're listening to Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay, and today we're listening in as reporter Jacob Dean talks to the so-called ethics sage about ethics in the workplace. And people have to want to be ethical, not because it's going to pay off. You're not going to get a, a larger paycheck You're not going to even make more money or more profit because you're doing it from a business point of view. But ethics is its own reward. There's an expression about virtue. Virtue talks about being a good person, having positive traits of character like honesty, integrity, respect for others, accepting personal responsibility for your actions, and so on. These are self-rewarding. Why? Because it makes you feel better about yourself. When you do good things for others, you feel good about yourself, and other people hold you in high esteem. It builds your confidence, and you're making a difference in the lives of others. So people should do things like work in their communities, Uh, help people who don't have as much as them. But on a simple level, uh, maybe we ought to do things like practice random acts of kindness. Uh, What do I mean by that? Let's say you have a next-door neighbor whose spouse is being operated on, and you know that this person is in the hospital, staying with that individual through surgery and so on. So maybe you cook a meal for that person and bring it over to their house so they don't have to worry about that after a day in the hospital. Uh, How many times have we all driven by an accident on the side of the road and just driven right by? Most people do that. It's not unethical to do that, but it is a random act of kindness where the people, if you stop and you comfort somebody who's in an accident, that goes a long way. They tend to show gratitude towards you for doing that. And, and that's, you know, it's an ethical thing. It makes you feel better about yourself. So I think that we have to connect ethics to being happier in life and having a more fulfilling life. And um, since we're closing things out, I'll just mention I recently had a book published on this called Beyond Happiness and Meaning, transforming your life through ethical behavior. 
and in it I discuss many of the things we've talked about today and provide numerous examples of ethical and unethical actions to guide the public. So I think those are the things that I'd like to leave your listeners with as we wrap things up. That's perfect, Professor Mintz. Uh, so well said. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think about, I don't know if karma is the right word to use, you know, uh, but uh, I do think about, um, you know, you do the right thing, the right thing will happen to you. And, and you're, you're, the positive energy that you uh, radiate tends to gravitate more positivity towards you. And, and I think the reverse is the same. I've, I've just, I've personally felt, um, I've had experiences that in my life of, of that happening. I think uh, others can relate to that as well. Again, we really appreciate your time this morning, Professor Mintz. And uh, if, if listeners want to find out more about you, about your book, um, uh, is there a good website or, or where can where can folks go, Professor? Yes, I have a website. It's uh, stephenmintzethics.com. And um, they can go to my website. And I do blog under the name Ethics Sage. So just Googling Ethics Sage, um, and I'm, I'll come up. <laughs> I, I love that. that that's cool. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an honor to get to talk with the Ethics Sage this morning, Professor. Appreciate <laughs> Thank your you so much. Yeah. Appreciate your time, and uh, keep up the good fight. Here's to uh, you know doing a small little positive thing to make the world a better place. Amen, brother. Amen. You've been listening to reporter Jacob Dean as he interviews the Ethics Sage, Dr. Stephen Mintz. This is Speaking Freely with Lucinda Kay. Get out there and be your best bold self. Ice cream. All the ice cream in my house, in the world, and most of my stuffed animals. My video games and, um, my phone. What would you give for your freedom? Would you give your eyesight? Would you give ever seeing the sunset again? Would you give the ability to see your children's future? Thousands of brave men and women who served in the United States Armed Forces have given their eyesight in defense of our freedom. And the Blinded Veterans Association wants to give them their freedom back, but it needs your help. Go to bva.org to find out about how BVA's free programs and services, advocacy, education, peer support, scholarships, and more help America's heroes to not just deal with the emotional and physical issues of sudden sight loss or impairment, but actually work to get them back to the independent lives they deserve to live. Go to bva.org to find out how you can make a difference. They fought for your independence. And by going to bva.org, you can find out how to help these veterans regain theirs. Go to bva.org today. Crime Stoppers, a public service of Oregon and Southwest Washington law enforcement. This is Officer Henry Gripper for Crime Stoppers. When it comes to crime, as the old saying goes, there is no such thing as the perfect crime. However, fear of retaliation and apathy are the two main reasons why someone with information is reluctant to get involved. Crime Stoppers addresses both issues. When a person contacts Crime Stoppers, they're never asked for their name. If the person has crime-related information, they're given a unique code number. Then, if the information results in an arrest, the person is eligible for a cash reward of up to $2,500 and Crime Stoppers pays upon the arrest, not conviction. People contacting Crime Stoppers are referred to as tipsters and they're not police informants. To learn more about Crime Stoppers and the ways of anonymously providing information, visit Crime Stoppers website at crimestoppersoforegon.com. 
What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.